0: Hello and welcome to the first annual Gamers Tavern Awards! This week Ross and I are honoring what we feel are the best games that came out in the year 2013 and I have no earthly idea why I actually wore a tie when we recorded this even though I knew it's audio only, but I'm weird. Anyway, I really don't have a lot to say about this week's episode uh, so I just kind of want to jump into things. Let's just get the sponsor out of the way and get started! Have you
1: been looking for a dark fantasy RPG setting? Are you interested in seeing a new take on the action horror genre? Then you should check out Accursed. Accursed is a setting for the Savage Worlds RPG created by me, Ross Watson, and my good friends Jason Marker and John Dunn. It is a world where the heroes are monsters who fight for redemption against the witches who have conquered their land. To find out more about Accursed, search for Accursed on drivethroughrpg.com. Accursed is now on sale there and in many other fine retailers for gaming PDFs. Thank you very much, and I hope you enjoy Accursed. Hello and welcome to Episode 17 of the Gamers Tavern Podcast. I'm your host, Ross Watson.
0: And I'm your engineer, Daryl Jr.,
1: and tonight we are basically going to just be Daryl and I because we have a really interesting uh, we have a really interesting topic tonight. We're going to be talking about game awards, and specifically, we're going to both talk about the games of 2013, the game products of, of last year, um, and we're gonna we're gonna talk about the best in uh, of the, the best entries that we have selected for a number of different categories. Uh, Daryl, why don't you you help me explain how this works?
0: Basically, this is our, and I am going to annoy so many grammar Nazis out there, our first annual (laughs) Gamers Tavern Awards. Uh, We have gone through 2013 and picked what we feel are the best games in a variety of categories. Now, the way we determined which games we picked were, what did we like? There wasn't any sort of strict standard, this is not any sort of subjective thing, because most award shows, the more they pretend to be objective, the more subjective they tend to be behind the scenes.
1: That being said, we are using our own personal views and our own personal experiences to to make these selections. To uh, Daryl and I did work hard to try and pick what we felt were the most deserving exactly. uh, games in each in each category. There is uh, something that I need to say up front, though, uh, as a professional game designer and writer in the industry, uh, I end up with my name and quite a few products every year <laughs> uh, and i before t- before we even got started on this path, I told Daryl that I was just going to have to kind of rec- recuse myself from some products because anything that I worked on uh, obviously has to be something that i can 't nominate for an award that that just that just wouldn 't be right um, so there's going to be some categories where uh, I will just go ahead and tell you, like, I couldn't nominate anything because, or I couldn't nominate a game because, and Daryl has helped me, has been very kind enough, you know, to help me <laughs> out here. Uh, he he does, you know, like I said, we're, we each picked our own, so I didn't tell Daryl what to pick, Daryl didn't tell me no. what to pick. Uh, so, so that's what, uh, that's what's going to go on ahead. I just wanted to make sure we got that out up front. Yep.
0: And the criteria for getting nominated for the Gamers Tavern Award was, did your game come out sometime between January first, twenty thirteen and december thirty-first, twenty thirteen? And did we play it? Or at least okay. see it get played or have some interaction with the game in some way, shape, or form?
1: I mean yeah, that's true. And, and it should be also noted that, you know, there were a lot of game products that came out this year, and I Daryl and I can only look at so many. So if you hear a product uh, or if you hear a category and uh, your favorite product that you feel is really deserving uh, does not get mentioned, uh, please, by all means, send us an email or make comments on our uh, Facebook or on the uh, the blog. Uh, and absolutely, absolutely let us know uh, what you think should have been in there because we'd like to hear from you.
0: As always. And, of course, I do want to point out one other thing. Some of the games which I, uh, I put on here, I did get review copies of through my column at Any Cool News. That in no way, shape, or form influenced me other than the fact that I got to play the games. Uh, many of the games on here I actually bought myself. So,
1: oh, You know, there's something else I should tell the listeners, Daryl. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am now on a new microphone.
0: Oh, yeah. The, yeah uh, we're in the process of upgrading our studio here, and my cat right now is very fascinated with the mixer board. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've upgraded to pretty much a full studio at this point. So it's a portable, low end, but I really like it. I really like the sound control that I have now. And I also, as great as Ross has sounded ever since we started the podcast, I just thought to myself, how much better would he sound if he had a proper microphone? So we've now gotten Ross on a proper microphone, and we've got a full sound system here now. So.
1: And I am very grateful to Daryl for helping me set up on this awesome microphone Uh, so my dulcet tones and honeyed voice can sound that much smoother to you, the listener. (laughs) Okay, I promise not to do that. Uh, But yeah, that's my radio voice. Um, So anyway, uh, we should – do we want to talk about awards in general before we jump right into the list,
0: Daryl? Well first of course you might want to talk about what games we've been playing recently like we always well do. yeah
1: yeah okay you know it's there's no excuse to get sloppy when we don't have a guest it's just the two of us tonight so I know. uh it's it feels a little more casual but uh we owe it to our listeners to to do the best show we can he's right and mostly we're normally...
0: we're, that conversation we were having before it's like oh we need to save this for the air we kind of <laughs> yeah. need to i, I really want to talk about and i want you to tell the audience about your Shadowrun character
1: <laughs> oh god okay well what have we been playing lately um I have not been playing Shadowrun uh, other than Shadowrun Returns. I played a little bit of that because the uh, the expansion for that is coming out very soon. Um, but yeah, I haven't I didn- didn- get to finish
0: it yet. I, I got caught by the bug where you get stuck in that one room right before the end. So I haven't run into that. So well, yeah, they patched it since then. I just haven't had a chance to update it and finish playing it.
1: Okay, so just in case you didn't know, there's a big expansion for Shadowrun Returns coming out sometime this month. To get ready for that, I was playing some Shadowrun Returns, and that got me in the mood for Shadowrun, the role-playing game. And I got together with some friends of mine, and we started talking about old characters. And you know, I got inspired. <laughs> I made a I made a Shadowrun character, and uh, <laughs> suffice it to say, it's a pretty, it's a pretty pink mohawk idea. <laughs> I wanted to play a pixie because I. I enjoy playing pixies first of all they're they 're just they 're cool because they 're only eighteen inches tall and they kind of allow you to explore some little more quirky character ideas and I thought wouldn 't it be interesting if you had basically a really stereotypical shadow runner like you know because pixies do kind of look like elves uh, with uh, wings and all, and you gave them the sunglasses and the trench coat and the katana, which is obviously just a knife with metahuman customization and <laughs> And then I said, "Well, if you're gonna if you're gonna make him look like a stereotypical shadowrunner, you should probably talk like a stereotypical shadowrunner." And from there, I started building this concept of a character whose exposure to shadowrunner culture and exposure to what shadowrun is is entirely through things like The Matrix and
0: Call Combat Mage and
1: Yeah, yeah, like television. Basically, or Tridio is what they call it. But yeah, basically, TV and the internet. Is where he learned everything he needs to know about Shadowrun. Uh, so he comes off as the most stereotypical Shadowrunner ever, which oh. means, of course, he writes his own Shadowrun fanfiction, <laughs> And of course he has his own Shadowrun uh, mixtape playlist on his comlink. And, um, you know, uh, of course... Oh,
0: hold on, on. What's his name?
1: Yeah, and, and he's decided that his, uh, his name is uh, Ravenblood Blackwolf Deathblade. <laughs> but you can call him Rafe for short. I don't know. It's like I say. It's it's pretty wacky. It's pretty pink mohawk. But I actually think there's a really cool character here, and I want to. I'm really excited about getting a chance to play in. And
0: and uh, you know, and, and you know, from my previous conversations about Shadowrun and Pinkbone, I'm not. I don't dislike pink mohawk, but I'm not that big of a fan of it. But I don't know if you can tell, but this idea is hilarious. I love it so much.
1: Well, I think you know, and, and, and to be to be totally clear, you know, it, it's going to have to fit the right tone of campaign. Like I would never try to force this on somebody if it didn't fit their tone.
0: And so, yeah. I, and I also said I really kind of wish he was in my last campaign I ran because I I ran the perfect odd couple comp- uh, counterpart to yeah Raven Blood. Is... Well, Rafe.
1: Just call him Rafe. Rafe. So, yeah, when I, when I told Daryl about this idea, he had, an even, he had a really great thought that immediately said, oh, yes, awesome. What was that thought you had, Daryl? You said... Uh,
0: you need a complete black trench coat, diehard professional raised in the shadows, has been in the shadows his entire life, true professional who doesn't put up with this sort of bullshit. You need well, that guy you, you as phrased a
2: counterpoint. It, you
1: phrased, yeah, as a counterpoint. Well, you phrased it a little more like... You phrase it a little more like he was a partner, right? And the first yeah. thing that came to my mind was like a buddy cop film, right? Buddy, where buddy they,
0: cop films, uh, the yeah. odd couple. You, you've got to have the exact opposite, that somehow they get along. Yeah, yeah. Cause they're you have, constantly the, at each other's throats bickering until, you know, people start shooting at them and then they got each other's the, back.
1: The key part is somehow they get along. Mm-hmm. Like I wouldn't want – I wouldn't want to bring this this idea in where – the two characters will be fighting all the time. I'd like to bring it in and see what those dynamics it's, do together. It's
0: personality clashes, not anything. It's yeah, the, just the fun role playing moments. Not the. Yeah. I'm not talking about getting someone you're going to draw down on each other at some point in time. That's never well because fun, you know but. for me like the the
1: the uh, for me the ideal would be that if two or three sessions or maybe I don't know let, let's say several sessions down the road. Ideally for me is my character would start to learn to be more professional, to be, you know, to, to actually pick up what's really on the streets and your character would learn to loosen up a little bit. Exactly. You know, I think that's, that's the, that's the arc that I would enjoy the most out of that dynamic.
0: And you actually came up with the best analogy for it, which was the Dragnet movie, the comedy one from the eighties with Tom Hanks. Yeah. The one with Dan Aykroyd and and Tom
1: Hanks. Yeah. Yeah. That would be a, a great example of how to do it. And, uh, yeah, I mean it, it would take a lot of uh, – it would take – a lot of things would need to come together. You'd have to have the right players, the right tone, the right GM. Um, but anyway, I, I'm just so excited about this crazy <laughs> character I came up with and I had to tell Daryl and he's like, put it on the air. It will be great. Yeah. So, so there it is. So that's what I've been playing lately is I've been coming up with an idea for a, uh, a shattering character. But in other news um, – Accursed is now out as a print product. I have my print copy. Woo-hoo. I'm going to be taking it with me to uh, ChupacabraCon this weekend, showing it off. Uh, couldn't be prouder. Uh, I think Accursed turned out to be fantastic, and we're just really excited to see it moving forward. We got um, novellas on sale now. Uh, Richard Lee Byers wrote a, uh, a novella for us. He's a celebrated Forgotten Realms author, and he wrote the uh, trilogy of Scarredlands novels for the Scarredlands, so you might know him from there. And now he's writing stories about my universe, which is pretty freaking <laughs> amazing. So check that out. You can just uh, find all that if you go to Drive Through RPG and search for a It'll show you all the cursed stuff that's up there, including the novella. And we hope to have another one up really soon. So you know, keep an eye out for that. And that's what I've been playing lately. I don't want to get too far down that road yeah. because we could spend the whole night talking about characters.
0: Oh yeah.
1: Uh, so I'm going to turn it over to Daryl.
0: I have been actually making headway in that big, uh, typical of elemental evil game I've been talking about. However, because I just finished a couple weeks ago, editing our edition wars episodes that we did, uh, I've been kind of thinking, I'm like, maybe I don't want to go through the effort of, con- cause I've converted the first part of the module to, I really want to go through all that work for the rest of it. So I'm sitting here thinking, how hard is it to play in second edition, which all the players that I have in my game, they know second edition cause that's their first system. Can I just run that straight? So I've been doing a lot of research on that, and they're I'm actually making headway on that, and we're starting up next week. So, I'm going to find out. How I that's wish gonna you work. luck
1: with that. I, I yeah. kind of wish I could play in it. It sounds like it'd be fun.
0: Yeah, it's um, and I've got my players are of course playing the evil party, but it's the typical elemental evil, so I can kind of let it slide. Well, then you feel then
1: you feel fine when you kill them, right?
0: Yeah, <laughs> you're like I feel like a, I, did something a I, feel good. I feel a little bit better if I kill them, and B. They're probably not going to spend a lot of time in Hamlet. Hom- They're probably going to be spending all their time in Nulb. So I think
1: it's, it's fair to say that at some point on this show, we will have an episode about evil parties. Yes. So we will come back and revisit that then for sure.
0: Yeah. And I've been kind of cataloging my board game because they've gotten into... Between all the games I got during Christmas, either I bought myself for sale or presents from family members who basically just went on my Amazon wish list and realized that, oh, hey, there's all these board games i might want to get them one of those i've got so much crap around my room i've been trying to catalog them all and organize them and stack them and figure out exactly what all i've got at this point so that's the other thing i've been doing so i
1: haven't oh I, we should um we should definitely tell the listeners remember when we had nordling on to talk about gaming and film yes well remember nordling was was telling us about this new well, movie well,
0: well we're going to be getting to that later on
1: okay okay uh that is that's probably something we should then wait and do during the actual awards show just a little teaser for the fans (laughs) there so stay tuned
0: so there there are actually several callbacks on our (laughs) lists but this is a big one and uh ross and i were actually having a big conversation before we started recording about this and i hope we can capture a lot of what we were talking about on it but uh are you ready to go ahead and get started with our first category
1: yeah, I am I just want to say again, you know, I'm really super excited to be recognizing uh games for quality because as a game designer writer, I know what it's like to, you know, put your your work out there in the world and honestly, the pay isn't that great. I mean, let's yeah. just be clear. So, recognition is like kind of a big thing, especially in our industry. Uh and you know, I want to say uh that I'm just super excited to be part of something where I feel like we can even in our own minor way, because we're just a little podcast, you know, we're not, we're we're not some monolithic agency where every gamer is going to hear our voice. But we are doing our small part to recognize the products that are, you know, above the bar. They're setting the bar. You know, they are the standard uh, in our industry, and I, it's just it's just very cool for me to to participate in that.
0: Yeah, it's always I, I, when it comes to a lot of other mediums, I really just don't care about awards because this is pretty much the award season for the entertainment industry and i do write for any news but i really don't care about the oscars the golden globes any of that stuff because if a product i like wins i'm like yay it deserved to win if a product i liked doesn't win i just get pissed off and so i don't see why and it's not And a lot of those awards, it's not really that big of an honor in the movie industry, because there's a lot of lobbying that goes on in those, and that's not a secret or anything like that. That's just the nature of the business. There's a reason why all the Tearjerker movies come out in November and December. It's because it's closer to award season, so it's fresher in the minds of the critics or the Academy who's voting on these awards. That's just how the business goes. But, on the flip side of that, I love gaming awards, because it is an industry that gets... So much crap from the outside world. Uh, I just remember, uh, we're recording this uh, January 14th, I believe. And just yesterday, it was announced that Fox, the movie studio, 20th Century Fox, has gotten the rights to make a Magic the Gathering movie. And even on our own website on Anacol News, it's nothing but net beard fat virgin jokes about Magic the Gathering players. And that just really annoys me, because... Do you guys even play games? Do you know any gamers? Well, I think Maybe maybe I'm a little bit like that, but most gamers aren't.
1: If I understand what you're saying correctly, I think what you're saying is the, the Magic players are part of our tribe. Exactly. I mean, they are, I, I may not be a Magic player. You may not be a Magic player. I'm honestly not much of a card gamer I am, like, I am, at all. I am but,
0: 14 years clean.
1: But the the fact remains that these are still our people. Yes. Right. And it's kind of... We we don't like to see that that tribe being put down. So you know, yeah, I'm with you on that. That it, it's cool that you know we're taking this opportunity to sort of address that a little bit.
0: And people who malign those groups it annoys me because my board game group, all, my board game group actually came from co opting a Magic the Gathering game at a coffee shop. Uh, a friend of mine had gotten back into Magic after many years of not playing. I personally am 13 years clean. I've I've had a couple of relapses here and there but not I'm, that there's
1: anything wrong with playing Magic it's, we we it's think that chi- playing Magic yeah, is the, just fine.
0: It it is addicting though but so is most gaming. Yeah, I am I am clear. I am still an addict to Shatterrun.
1: Right, but just to be clear there's nothing wrong with playing yes. Magic and we think um, that it's a fine game.
0: Yes, I I, I <laughs> I just the reason why I don't really like playing Magic anymore is because I'm not good at it. Really, (laughs) if I were better at it, I would probably like it more because it is a fun, engaging game. It's a I could go on for a while about Magic the Gathering, but my board game group that I played with for the longest time that I was slowly working them into playing D anD D. We actually were using Hero Quest, the old uh, Milton Bradley game, as a kind of a vector to get them into role-playing games, and it was working until my job schedule changed and I had to leave the group, but we basically took these guys that were just hardcore Match the Gathering players and slowly started introducing them to, you know, Settlers of Catan and Cards Against Humanity and Ticket to to Ride, and we started getting deeper and deeper into these games till they were playing games that I don't even get, like Castles of Burgundy. I can't even play that game.
2: So
1: Well, that's a great segue, though, to talk about our first category, and uh, I'm going to try and say it as if we had a soundboard where they could do the cool reverb and everything. Um, Uh, We we
0: do. I just haven't figured it out yet.
1: Okay, well, (laughs) I'm going to give it a try, and if you can make it sound cool in post, that's awesome. Yes. The 2014
0: 2014 Gamers Gamers
1: Tavern Award Best Board Board Game. And in this category, I did have to abstain. So it is pretty much all Daryl all the time on this one. Uh, But I do happen to agree with his selection, so I'm going to let Daryl go ahead and talk about our selection and why we picked it.
0: My selection for best board game. And I rolled board game into considering pretty much anything that's played on a tabletop that doesn't involve actual role playing. Although I kind of cut close to the line on that one because I picked the Pathfinder adventure card game. And the reason why I picked that is because although the mechanics are a little bit fuzzy around the edge, it seems a little bit more complicated than it needs to be in some places. It is a great game It is a perfect vector, and if if this had come out when I was still with that group, this would have been the game I used to draw them into role-playing. Say, play this, and then, hey guys, do you want to try the game this was based on? Uh, You make your own characters, and you get to fight and kill stuff. Uh, It really kind of, if you're in one of those situations where you don't have a DM or you don't have a group around you, it does have a good solo mode. It does have a good two-player. It's a cooperative game, so you're all on the same side. Uh, It kind of scratches that same itch in a way if you can't do any sort of... It feels like... When you're playing the game, it kind of feels like you're going through a dungeon crawl almost. Or you can actually turn this into a full adventure if you wanted to. You could write up the stories in this the same way you could write up your D&D campaign or your Pathfinder campaign. Um, There's also a ton of variety in this and that's not even counting all the expansions that have been coming out regularly already for the game. It is a brilliant game it is worth every penny I can't recommend, it is my favorite board game of this year
1: And uh, I just want to point out that uh, a friend of mine, Mike Selinker, is one of the designers on this, uh, so good job Mike uh, and it definitely is, uh, the boxes are very very pretty, I, I love the, uh, the production value game this is coming from someone who hasn't played it as much this is again daryl's selection not really yeah you know I had, I had to kind of step away from this this uh, category but i i can clearly see that it is a quality product even just um from a casual look
0: yep so our best board game for 2013 pathfinder adventure card game so i'm going to go ahead and move on and introduce our next category Uh, which is a little bit more vague. We didn't specify a specific genre for this one. Well, you know, and I think,
1: you know, this might be a good time to bring up that if people have some ideas on how we can improve this, we are definitely
0: interested in hearing it. Yeah, this is our first annual... Yeah, I'm, so. just, I, I'm doing that intentionally, kind of like nails on a chalkboard. Well, so. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I
1: mean, at first, my first thought was we're going to do it like the Penny Arcade We're Right Awards. Yeah. You know we are. We're right. <laughs> but uh, that's a little too snarky you yeah. know, for, for our podcast. Uh, the, the thing is, we want to do this again in the future. So if you have any comments on, on the, the not only the, uh, the awardees, but also things like how the categories are defined, we'd love to hear it. I, I
0: actually yeah. like the way this category turned out as vague as it was because you went in a completely different direction than I did and that kind of thing yeah. kind of works out but uh, this, this one is Best, Best Game, Game Expansion. Expansion Dun 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 So, so Ross's yes, pick for yes, 2013 sorry. Gamers Tavern Award Best Game Expansion is
1: Champions Complete uh, by Derek Heimforth I hope I'm pronouncing that name correctly Champions Complete is the if if people who don't know what it is, it's one of the newest releases uh, for the Hero System uh, Sixth Edition. And the thing about Hero System Sixth Edition, it's a really big, almost intimidating. Phone book. It's it's well, it's multiple phone books. I mean, it's not just (laughs) one, right? The set is like three books big, and they're just really big and intimidating books, which is a shame because it's a fantastic system. It's one of my favorite. Game Systems of all time is, is the hero system, so Champions Complete takes those three big phone books and condenses them down into one you know average size game book, which I think is great because what it does is it takes that my favorite game puts it in a more digestible uh, version as an expansion, and it allows it to work as a gateway into the hero system. There's actually not that much new in it from a rule standpoint it's kind of kind of going back over material that's already in the 6th edition rule set, but it's presenting it and organizing it in a way that it'll allow new readers or people who just want to focus on the particular genre that this book is aiming for, which is superheroes, um, it, will, it will give them that experience. And it yeah. does have a lot of great stuff in there about how to run superhero campaigns and basically just, again, you know, how to use the hero system to do what it does best, in my opinion, which is the the champion's game. And uh, yeah, great job, Derek Heimforth. Great job, everybody at Hero Games. I I think it was a fantastic book.
0: And this is not in any way, shape, or form like a beginner's box thing. This is more like a digest form of the full book the full well, it's, for that. it's it's
1: <laughs> honestly it's the closest thing you're going to get to the box <laughs> for, for uh
0: what, what, for I, what I mean stuff. is this is yeah. not this is not a okay here's the first five levels of playing the game now go play the real game this is a full game in and of itself but it's also still a subset of the same bigger game is that yes i
1: i that's a good point yeah D- what, what daryl's doing is he's clarifying that is while i characterized it as an introductory product it is complete, I mean, as it says on the cover, it is a complete set.
0: And, right? Yeah, it is a complete game. And that's the main thing I wanted to get across, is this is not like, here's the rules, like, here's the first three levels, this is your quick start for the game with your pre gents and everything. This is a full role-playing game that is... I have always wanted to get into hero systems, if for no other reason than it is the one of the most reskinable role-playing games ever aside from a system that's actually designed to be generic, like GURPS. It is one of these... You can run pretty much anything you can think... It's built for superheroes, but you can run anything you want with that system.
1: Yeah, I'm really looking forward to actually uh, getting a chance to run Champions for uh, Daryl sometime, because I think he'd get a kick I, out of
0: it. I, I probably... I have not had a chance to play it, and I have barely skimmed the surface, because I have not had a chance to look at Champions Complete. But, yeah, I. it is a really good product from everything i've heard about it and i'm really excited to finally get a look at it and finally get a chance to really get into hero system because i am one of those people that i looked at in uh, i think it was fourth edition was the last one i looked at where it had the two 600 page hardcover tomes that's uh
1: was it black colored? and it was that was so maybe it
0: may have been fifth edition it was it was two yeah. different colors one was blue i want to say and one was
1: well, 4th edition was blue, 5th was black. You know what? Okay, so My blog actually goes into great detail about all the different editions of I, Champions. I, rem- I, remember,
0: I remember, I was at Dragon's Slayer looking at them and they were blue. Okay, well, so that's 6th that edition. That's 6th?
1: Six, six is multiple books and they are blue. Okay. Yeah. So, why don't we talk about your selection for this category?
0: Like I said, I went in a completely different direction than Ross when it comes to the 2013 Best Game Expansion from Daryl is Lords of Waterdeep, Scoundrels of Skullport, which Lords of Waterdeep is a great way if you're wanting to go the other way around. We talked about Pathfinder Adventure Card Game for the people to get your board game group into role-playing games. This is a great way to get your role-playing game group into board games. Uh, It's a worker placement style game and it is really well designed. It is probably the best introductory worker placement game I've seen, but I haven't played a lot of them yet, but it is, the rules are very simple and Scoundrels of Skullport is the perfect board game expansion. It does everything you want an expansion to do. It is, for one thing, the set itself is very versatile. It has... Two different major components and a lot of other additional rules that you can mix and match when you're adding them in. So you don't add in the whole thing at one time unless you really want to. You can add in just one little component of the rules to your game at a time and everything still stays balanced and fun. That's what makes it incredibly versatile. There's lots of different game components to choose from to put at it. For the benefits of this game, the price is incredibly low. I mean, when you're looking at modern board game prices and you're saying, $30 $30 for an expansion, which I'm not sure that's the exact price of Lords of Waterdeep, but we'll have links to all of our winners in our show notes if you want to go purchase them. But uh, it's, I'm not sure the exact price, but a lot of expansions in the $20 to $30 range, and it's like, that's not even the whole game. No, this one is worth every penny, because here's the big thing. It takes that game that you already bought, and it breathes whole new life into it. You can pick any one. Of the things you can add in the Undermountain campaign, which gets you a lot more adventures, a lot more missions, and it adds so much to the game. You can add in the corruption rules, and just that alone adds so much depth and replayability. So even if you've played this game to death, it completely breathes new life and almost makes it a brand new game without overwhelming you with all these new rules. And you still feel like you're playing the same game. Because I know a lot of board games, when you start piling on expansions, it doesn't even feel like the game that you played the first time you played it.
1: Well, I haven't this, played the expansion for Lords of Waterdeep, but I have played yes. the, the core game. Mm-hmm. And I really, really, really liked Lords of Waterdeep. It's one of my uh, favorite board games that I have played recently. And I was very much looking forward to the uh, the expansion. So... I'm very pleased to hear Daryl yeah, say it, how much he likes it, because I can't wait to get my hands on yeah, copy. It's,
0: it's technically three expansions in one, because there's kind of three different... There's two big expansions and then a little mini thing that you can add in. It's three different major rule sets, and you don't have to add in all three at once. You can add in one part here. The biggest thing to me is it adds a completely new layer of strategy to the game. If you're one of those people who actually plans ahead and doesn't get you know shit-faced and just make whatever moves look right at the time like uh, some people may do in strategy games i I don't know any of them personally of course except (laughs) when i look in a mirror um but no it, it does add a completely new strategy to the game with the corruption mechanic because it gives you a way to take on this corruption That may cost you points To get you instant gain And then you're trying to get rid of the corruption And put it on other players Or you may have the secret lord That's the beholder that actually gets points For being corrupt So it adds It it just adds so much more to the game When you're trying to balance Okay I can do this for 8 points Or I can do this for 15 points But I'll have to take some corruption points And I don't know how many victory points Those are going to cost me until the end of the game And it just it adds so much to the game. That alone would have won this, the award. But then there's the Undermountain expansion. that had so many new missions and so many new game types, so many new places. Yeah, I love this expansion. It does exactly what a board game expansion is going to do. It makes you want to pull that game out and play it again, and you're still playing the same game, but it feels fresh and new all over again.
1: Awesome. Well, I think uh, then we need to move on to our next category. Oh, and our next category... Uh, is one near and dear to my heart. So the 2013 Gamers Gamers Tavern Tavern Awards for Best best Miniature Product. product. And why don't you go first on this one, Adara?
0: Mine is a Kickstarter project that I know I've talked about this many times on the show. I'm not that big of a miniature gamer when it comes to actual miniature war games, but I love using miniatures in my role-playing games. So, of course, my pick was the Dwarven Forge game tiles. I got my set in recently. I still have not gotten up the nerve to start painting them, but even unpainted, these things look great. Dwarven Forge has always looked great. Every single time I see the pictures, I'm like, I want this so bad. When I win the lottery, I'm going to have a set of those. I don't have to win the lottery anymore to have that level of quality on my game table. It's really reasonably priced. The things are durable as hell. I have put them through the paces in an experiment for an upcoming review of them where I have done what I can to try to break them or bend them or deform them. And I'm at the point where I'm about to start running them over with cars and taking blow torches to them. To try to do some sort of measurable damage
1: Let's be clear He he does it because he really likes them That's why he wants well, to destroy them I somehow. have
0: to test them I want to know how <laughs> far I can push them It's now become a science experiment I, I have one specific piece I picked out of the set That science. I didn't think I was ever going to use Exactly Testing for, for science. science I am being very methodical I am charting my results So it is officially science
1: Why are we still talking when there's science to do? <laughs> oh god
0: That song is now stuck in my head for the rest of the friggin' show. Thank you very
1: much. <laughs> Seriously, Dwarven so Forge is on. a product that always makes me wish I had more money because it looks so fantastic. And the, the times that I have used it or seen it used for uh, fantasy gaming or uh, things like HeroQuest, uh, man, it is just so cool. Have you seen, have I, I, you seen the Game
0: Tiles fantasy. yet, though? The Game Tiles version, not the, the old cast versions?
1: Yeah, they, they look great. Um, I I need to break out some of my budget in, in this year sometime and yeah, uh, make sure to acquire a copy.
0: Yeah, they are not that expensive and they're durable. They're also really light compared to the old stone versions. I loved that about them because it's you can actually take these to a con and not have to you know throw your shoulder out putting them in a bag. So it's really great. I love them. So my pick 2013 best miniature product. Dwarven Forge Game Tiles. So, Ross, what was your well, pick? Yeah. Oh, sorry. <laughs> again,
1: it's, it, no, it's fine. It's, it's really interesting, again, because we always, you know, when we come back and look at these lists, uh, Daryl kind of goes off to the right. I always go off to the left. So Daryl picks, for best miniature product, Daryl picks an actual miniature, <laughs> you know, thing that you put on the table. And I pick a set of rules. I picked the new Battletech release. It is called Battletech... Alpha Strike, and it is actually a rule set for playing Battletech uh, in a completely different way. Now, I, I don't know how many of our listeners may have played Battletech in the past. I played Battletech, God, uh, 20 years ago. I mean, I've been playing it since you know almost the first box set was released.
0: And Battletech was my first tabletop game, which we talked about in episode zero. Right. So
1: All right, so, so, Battletech is, is important to both me and Daryl, but for different reasons. Uh, I always came at it from the miniature game side, and just I remember playing tons and tons and tons of games at Battletech. But there were, let's just say that it's a 25-year-old rule set and there's things that I find... They're uh, they're
0: in their fourth edition now, but the rules really haven't changed that much since (laughs) I was 10 years old.
1: Let's just say there are certain things in that rule set that I think modern design uh, would do differently. And that's where Alpha Strike comes in, right? Alpha Strike comes in and says, this is a way to play Battletech, have all the good parts of Battletech, but do it in a way that really embraces some of the modern design. Battletech Alpha Strike allows you to play games. uh, You can play lance-on-lance, which lance is like four mechs. Uh, You can play a lance-on-lance game in like 20 or 30 minutes with Alpha Strike. It is fast, furious, and fun. Uh, My friends and I, we sat down and we played uh, three-on-three, right? We, We each had a lance of mechs. And we must have played like five or six games in three hours, and I'd never been able to really just get that much battletech all at once <laughs> before. So uh, I, I just really adore the way that Alpha Strike takes uh, a classic game, puts a new spin on it, and it just it presents it in a way that allows you to uh, you know play the game in a much more fast and, and furious fun uh, approach. one even even uh, better than that actually is uh, there's a list of all the, the battle mechs that they've been releasing for Battletech in the new Alpha Strike format online. It's called the Master Unit List. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll have a link to it in the show notes. Uh, so you really, honestly, all you need is Alpha Strike and a internet connection, and you can just play. So there's tons of free resources available, um, and it just, it speeds things up so fast, and, and it, I don't know, I, I <laughs> I'm getting... Giddy and, and and babbling because that's how much I really enjoyed Alpha Strike. I I, uh, I, I haven't I had it. a
0: chance to play Alpha Strike yet, but I've read through the rules on it, and, and there are some things that I miss from the full BattleTech rules on it. But the more I think about it, the more I'm like, why do I miss this? Is it just nostalgia? Because I the, I take a step back and say, okay, approach this as a new player, someone who has who really likes you know mecha combat, like battle mechs fighting battle mechs, and it is the best. Way to play these sorts of things because it really streamlines everything, and well, it, but it doesn't really, sacrifice. Yeah. It doesn't sacrifice the strategy involved either.
1: It doesn't even sacrifice the flavor. Like yeah. um, you know, they're, uh, tracking your heat in classic BattleTech is is kind of a bookkeeping thing, right? Where you're just like, okay, I did this much heat and I can vent this much at the end of the round. They kept the flavor of heating up your mech in Alpha Strike, but they did it so elegantly where yes. it's actually just a single takes, decision that you make and it's it, incredibly much less bookkeeping involved. And I, I don't know, I was, I was really, really It takes impressed. the important
0: part of heat, which is, okay, do you overheat your mech or do you not?
1: Yeah. Like a, it's almost a binary thing. And, and
0: yeah, it, it takes that mechanic and it fixes it. It makes it, it, keeps everything you need to know about it, but it's just easy. It works.
1: Yeah, I'll I'll say that, you know, about 85% of all the things I thought I would like to change about Battletech, Alpha Strike fixed. So, yeah, absolutely two thumbs up for me.
0: So that's Ross's pick for the best miniature product of 2013, Alpha Strike from Battletech, from Catalyst Game Labs. Now, we're going to move on to another category, which is another one of those kind of odd ones that Ross... I don't. Did you? You didn't even get a chance to play any of the games in 2013 that came out in 2013. For did this you? particular for this category,
1: category, no. I mean, Werewolf is the closest thing that I got to play. But uh, Werewolf uh, has f-
0: come out every single year since.
1: Yeah, oh. it's so. Unfortunately, I did have to abstain from this one as well, but not for professional reasons, just because I hadn't played any of it. So, however, I um, played
0: the best party game that came out in 2013, in my opinion, at least. Well, announce. We – got to announce I the am, uh, I am. the category. Okay. The 2013 2013 Gamers Tavern Tavern Award Award for Best Best Party Party Game is Raffle. This is a game designed by one of our first guests on the show, John Kovolik. And it is a party game where you get these clues that are like a book title or a movie title or a quote or something like that. And you have to spend about 45 seconds, get a little hourglass timer, and condense that as much as you can using text speak. And which, for the record, text speak is never once used anywhere in the rules, in the game, anywhere at all. Well, let's it's be just clear. Implied.
1: Let's be clear to the, to the listener, just in case you didn't quite catch what the title of the game is.
0: Rofl. It's
1: R-O-F-L, the acronym for Rolling on the Floor Laughing. So there is my, my, a little bit of text speak my, in the game, just in said, that The, the text
0: speak is all over the game. They just never actually use the phrase text speak. Okay, well, that's, that's I, what just what wanted, I, I just to. wanted it's to make kinda, sure... It's kind of like how you don't say yeah. zombie in a zombie
1: movie. Right, but in case our accents mangle it, just, it's my, my, R-O-F-L.
0: My apologies. I, I'm pronouncing it the way that I was told it's to pre- be pronounced, which is R-O-F-L, actually spelled out, but it's yes, R-O-F-L. Now, like I said, it's you're trying to condense these quotes and phrases as tightly as you can while someone tries to and, and write them down and put your bid down for the fewest characters you think can get this message across and... Then someone tries to guess it and both sides win points. The way that they balance the mechanic of... Because a lot of these games that have judges, if it's not blind... Like, you know, Cards Against Humanity is blind. You take all the cards and you shuffle them up. So you don't know who played what card. But you can either consciously or unconsciously play favorites and kind of throw it when you're trying to guess or vote for someone. They have a beautiful mechanic to kind of prevent that in that both sides get points. So it's really well designed. It is... It has the best aspects of a party game in every other way, shape, and form, too. It's fast to learn. I've almost explained to you the entire rules already. It is easy to play because there are so many cards that come with it and because it is such an easy game to expand upon. Give me more cards. It has a lot of replay value and the best aspect of any party game ever. You can play it when you're drunk off your ass.
1: Well, I think we're going to hear from a lot of listeners asking, why isn't Cards Against Humanity? Because Cards Against Humanity came out in 2012. Just, just to clarify. (laughs) uh,
0: That's why. Because it's really
1: catching on now, you know.
0: Yeah, it it took a little while to get seen, but I've had my copy for well over a year now. I've had it since... I think I got it with the first expansion. That's when I got it. So that was back in November of 2012. I love right. Cards Against Humanity. It just didn't meet the qualifications because it was released too late in the year. I But Raffle is, for one thing, one thing that Raffle edges out Cards Against Humanity as a party game, in my opinion, for an awards situation, even though if it were up against it, sorry, John, Cards Against Humanity would have kind of won, but Raffle is a family friendly game. There Which is. Cards no, Against Humanity is, is not. not. When <laughs> we did our playing games on the holidays, we brought up Raffle. Raffle got a uh, PG rating, I believe, and I gave Cards Against Humanity the only NC 17 rating so, that we had know, on there. So,
1: Going back to our family games episode, do you think Nicole Wakeland would approve of uh, yes. Total Fangirl? Would yes. Total Fangirl play. Yes. R O
0: F L. Yeah, she would, she would play it with the kids. It is mm-hmm. there is there is very little offensive. There might be an occasional damn in there here and there. Uh, I think it has pissed once, maybe, but I'm not. I'm maybe mixing it up with you know. I played a lot of cards against you're, humanity You're really not helping, me but, <laughs> but no, it it is because there. It's also quotes. So anytime it comes up, it is a quote from a famous film or from historical figures. So what you're
1: saying is even if there might be a little bit of language in there it'd be very easy to just
0: skip yeah. over. It. And it's okay. and it's also the language is very very mild. It's nothing that you wouldn't see on primetime television. <laughs> even well, on, that's, even uh, on like the the lightest of sitcoms. Way to go for the low-hanging fruit there by the way. <laughs> but yeah, it is a great game. It is fun to play. It is easy to learn and Everyone has a blast every time I've broken it out. It is a great game. The 2013 Gamers Tavern best party game is ROFL, R-O-F-L exclamation point.
1: All right, and that takes us out of that category and into another. And we're going to leave the world of physical products behind because we are now going to go to the 2013 Gamers Tavern Awards. For best gaming website.
0: Uh, spoiler alert: We didn't nominate Gamers Tavern because um, it's kind of conflict of interest. So, well, you know, I mean, and that's honest, a good point. And to, honestly,
1: well, hang on, that, that's a good point to bring up, though, because Gamers Tavern is technically a blog and a website and a podcast. I mean, really, if if we were going to submit it for an award, and obviously, I mean, it, it's not going to be on our list, but if it was yeah. on someone else's list, I think I would want to submit it. As the podcast rather than the website Not, not that there's anything wrong with our website oh, yeah. But I think the thrust, the We're, main
0: You know, the, the focus website, of the, the website's still growing because of the holiday season I've yeah. been slack. I, I do most of the content on the website and I'm well, so not saying there's anything wrong with the website it, 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 saying. I'm, say, I'm saying there is Because I've been slacking because of the holidays I'm going to be picking up on that, ladies and gentlemen Okay, So I, I am going to pick up the ball On that, however even if we were nominated, I don't think I would pick us over either of our two picks. They just did it better. Well, did I I more. think yeah.
1: But my point is that the the selections we made for the best gaming website we made because the website functionality is oh, their I see what you're saying. primary reason to be. Whereas the website functionality for our show is really just a vehicle to get you to listen to the show.
0: Get you get you to listen to the show and get you to read whatever random crap I throw up on the blog. Well,
1: so yeah, so it's, it's, it's not
0: qu- it's not quite the yeah. same thing as our as our two winners for this. So
1: I'm going to go first on this one. Okay. Uh, my selection for best, best gaming, gaming website, website of 2013 is Obsidian Portal. And Obsidian Portal is just really one of the best places on the web to organize a role-playing game campaign. There are just tons and tons of resources that help you organize and and keep track of where your game is going to... uh, You can set up a wiki. You can set up your character sheets and pictures. You can uh, track your XP and your treasure. I mean, it's really just incredibly high value to uh, detail-oriented game masters like myself. Um, And and I think even more valuable, probably, to people who are running games remotely. than I mean, because it's useful for at the table, certainly, but it's also... Really helpful for just if you want to, you know, say you're on, on a trip. I forgot
0: my character sheet. Yeah,
1: that, that's exactly one of the things that Obsidian Portal will do. Is say, oh, you forgot your character sheet? No problem. I have a copy on Obsidian Portal. Or if you're on a trip and you want to look back, you know, you want to maybe write a, a journal entry from your character while you're sitting in the airport, which, you know, I have certainly done that. <laughs> um, you know, Obsidian Portal is the right thing to do for that. In addition to all the things I just said, uh, obsidian Portal is a very active community of gamers involved with it, and it's very easy to go on the forums and uh, get people to talk to you about you know give ideas or even maybe find a game to join i've used it myself many times obsidian portal uh, to help get a game organized i th- I think like uh for we had a birthright game where we put all our character pictures up and all our our different actions per domain turn and things like that it was just it was a really neat neat way to uh organize and keep our campaign running a little more smoothly. So, yeah, kudos to Obsidian Portal. I, I think uh if you are running a game, you should at least take a look at it and see if it's right for you. Um yeah. because because you never know. It might be
0: Their site is so great. It is the perfect resource if you're running a campaign, if you're running it a is game. A, if you're a player, it yeah. is perfect. Pretty
1: it's pretty sweet. Although before we jump into your nominee, I do want to say something that um one of the reasons why it's I had to recuse myself,
2: right?
1: Uh, Daryl's nominee, when we talk about it, is something that I wish I had been able to to nominate, but I I just couldn't. Um.
0: And I probably should have recused myself as well on this one, but because this is, and we do have an affiliate account. We're bending the rules a little bit. With this site, but I think that no one's really going to disagree with picking this one. It is Drive Through RPG. The site has made a lot of improvements this year on pretty much everything they've done. They've added a ton of new material, both from, you know, independent game press people that some of us might know. But they've also, here's the big one, they started adding the classic Dungeons and Dragons modules. And books and everything else from all the previous things, including I think you were excited about this when it got thrown up what last week or the week before? Birthright. Birthright. Is now yes. uh, and I was thrilled when Ravenloft started popping up Sweet. on there. So, yeah, it is <laughs> their catalog just keeps growing and growing and growing. It is a great site. It is easy to search now, it is far easier than it's been in its entire history. There is so much going on there, and especially because of its ease of access, you can, as a small publisher, create accounts, do print-on-demand, do PDFs, and you can create I some really high-quality products.
1: I speak from experience mm-hmm. to say that small publishers get a immense amount of value out of all the things that Drive RPG offers. And um,
0: I love the little guys. I try to push for them as much as I can, both here and at the Column. I love... When the little guys get a chance to shine. I love Democrat. Let, let the best games win. Regardless of its if it's a big corporate office. Or with dozens of game designers. Or if it's just two guys working out of their bedrooms. I want an even playing field. And that's what Drive RPG gives us. It is a great website. And again, I do have to point out. They are kind of a sponsor of the show. In that we get our affiliate account through them. But... Even without that, I cannot recommend. It. it is one of the best gaming websites on the internet because there's just so much there. It's
1: it's fair to say it's not the first time we're going to bend the rules a little bit on this on this list. Uh, but you know, I I, I can't fault Daryl's choice. So there you go. To recap, the
0: 2013 Gamers Tavern Best Gaming Website, Ross's pick, Obsidian Portal. My pick, Drive Through RPG.
1: Yep. Well, and since we're talking about RPGs, mm-hmm. which we have been, I mean, that's a pretty yeah. horrible segue. I, <laughs> I apologize for that. That's, that's that's what you call a lame duck segue. Um, but we're going to talk about the next category. Gerald, do you want to introduce it?
0: This category is something that, again, Ross had to recuse himself from nominating a lot of things, I'm sure. But we both picked, I think, some really strong contenders in this one. This one is for... Best role-playing game supplement.
1: Yeah, and you're right. I did have to recuse <laughs> myself from quite a few uh, supplements because that I, I did a, I did I did a you know my for, fair share. For the so, record,
0: our strict line on this was if your name shows up in a book credit, yeah, that's yeah, when you cannot you got
1: yourself it. out of it. Yeah.
0: Do, do you want to jump into yours first? I'll go ahead so, and do mine. Mine okay. is from, and I really hope this gets me some goodwill because I. <laughs> tend to be a little bit hard on paizo and it has absolutely nothing to do with pathfinder game it has nothing to do with the designers or anything else it's just uh, i'm not even gonna get into it but i i have been a little bit hard on pathfinder on the show especially during our edition wars episode i like to think i was actually harder on my favorite edition D D on that one fourth edition but
1: i was hard on it for you
0: I was hard I was hard no I was hard on fourth edition too. I recognize its flaws, but Pathfinder is a great game and I got to say my pick for the best RPG supplement has to be the Bestiary 4. It is I have never seen a product that makes me want to go back and play another edition of a game that I haven't played in over a year more than this product. When I was looking through it, I got through like the first 10 pages and I'm like what did they do? This is the best collection of monsters for probably any game I have seen in a very long time.
1: And they go back it's, to the you know, the old 3.0, 3.5 approach where they, it, it's not just a big blob of stats. They talk about what the monster yes, does and the ecology.
0: That is one of the best things about it. It gives you a lot of context for all these monsters, so you know exactly where to put them and how to use them. It gives you a lot of personality to use to bring more role-playing into the game when you're fighting these monsters, and here's the thing that I loved the most about it. It covers such a broad range in terms of how tough the monster is. There are good low-level monsters, there are good mid-level monsters, there are good high-level monsters, and that's not even counting the fact that they stat up a lot of... IP that's very popular right now, including the mythos, the Cthulhu mythos, Lovecraftian monsters, Ooh. are, are stated in this book. You can fight a Shoggoth. Yes, you can fight Sweet. Cthulhu. You wow. can Or you can try to eats one d six adventurers per round. Uh, I I couldn't <laughs> quote that off the top of my head from this one, but it is literally the. Best collection of monsters I've seen in a long time. The way they presented them was great. The art is amazing. The production value, of course, it's Paizo. The production value was insane. So, speaking of
1: Cthulhu, it's insane. (laughs) No, really, no. I'm sorry. It's a. I do like high quality monster books. It is insanely
0: uh, good. And like I said, reading through this, I'm just reading through the first ten pages. I'm like, okay, I've got like five new campaign ideas just from this. And when I finish the book, I'm like, I've got to run a Pathfinder campaign. I, If I hadn't committed myself to this Temple of Elemental Evil thing, I would be doing path, a, an original Pathfinder campaign right now, because this just sparked so many ideas for me, which is what the best monster books will do for you, is just completely, I want to use that, and I have an idea how. And this thing did I, that, I, but I said, I've, I want to use this, and I've got five ideas how. Because that's how much depth they go into with the monsters, and they do it all in such... It is such an economy of space. I don't know how they crammed so much value in so little space for each monster. It doesn't feel like you've got these five page spreads on each thing. It's still the same sort of half a page to a page and a half, two pages on each one. But there's just so much good information there. They've got it so concise. It is amazing. So I cannot speak highly enough about the Pathfinder Bestiary 4.
1: And what's interesting is uh, I also selected a <laughs> Paizo product for this uh, particular category. My selection for best RPG supplement is the Pathfinder Ultimate Campaign. Now, just like Daryl was saying, you know, the thing he loved about the beast area was that it made him want to do a Pathfinder Campaign again. Uh, Pathfinder Ultimate Campaign did that for me as well. And uh, I, uh, I I wish we had, uh, you know... A Pathfinder group in my area that was willing to take me on because I would totally place a Pathfinder right now. the ultimate campaign book uh, for Pathfinder is well, I mean, just to be honest, this is kind of hits my p- particular sweet spot like if you if you want to make a book and say, "I want Ross Watson to like <laughs> this book, you would make it to where it addresses running and organizing a campaign, and uh, this book that's what it's all about. Uh, it's pretty comprehensive. Uh, it includes some uh, mass combat rules. It includes some random background generation. It includes some domain management rules, which is one of my favorite things of all time. Oh yeah, uh, it's just it's a really you know I, w- I don't want to say that it is perfectly complete because I mean that's really hard that's a that's a really high bar to set. Um, and it would probably take a much thicker book than this, but this book gets pretty pretty close. Uh, they they cover a really wide range of stuff in in what they uh, in their space.
0: And one thing that's kind of put me off in a lot of books that are like this is that they get into that same boring. Okay, this is how role playing game. This is how you DM. Be fair. Be... This book is nothing like that. They they got that out of the way long ago.
1: Yeah, with the Game Mastery Guide. Yeah, which was you you know, how, here's how to run a game. Yeah, this can This is uh, this, this is, is how, not this GM is not, advice.
0: This is not how to run a game. This is how Tools. to make your game better. It's a toolbox.
1: Yes. Yeah. It's and it's it's specifically aimed at groups that do not just do you know the the one shots. It's specifically aimed at groups that are getting together to run story arcs and things like that. Like I, I mentioned the random background generation. One thing I am a huge fan of is the old uh, Flying Buffalo Heroes of Legend series by Paul slash Janelle Jackways back in the day. And those are really, really great. And they kind of call back to that a little bit with their random background generation. So if you want to – and it's, of course, very themed to Galarian, their setting – So, again, it's just a really cool way to, like, jump in and make characters for this campaign. You're going to come up with some cool background bits. And then you're going to talk about, like, maybe we're going to run a kingdom, so here's the rules to do that. And then our kingdom is going to attack another (laughs) kingdom with an army, and here's the rules to do that. Which, that's something
0: I've had a lot of people ask about online on various places is, I've got a big battle scene coming, a a big war scene. How do I run that? Pathfinder Ultimate Campaign answers that question.
1: It's like they took a bunch of great supplements of the past, some of my favorite things, called all the good parts out, themed them to fit Pathfinder, and stuck them in one book. And uh, that's one of the reasons why I selected it. Uh, So, again, just to recap, for the Gamer's Tavern Best RPG Supplement, Daryl's choice was Pathfinder Bestiary 4. My choice was Pathfinder Ultimate Campaign. So Paisa kind uh, of
0: swept that one.
1: Great job to Eric Mona and Lisa Stevens and all the guys at Paizo. Uh, thank you for uh, making that easy on us because yeah. <laughs> there it was. And uh, I guess I will introduce and, the uh, next. I was
0: going to say before oh, we get cool. into this one, okay. I would like to go to a special award we have, which oh. is we have created the first Gamers Tavern Lifetime Achievement Award. Oh, we're going to – oh, okay. Let's yeah. We, and, because – this one was a really tough one for me because yeah, we can always say oh hey Dungeons and Dragons or oh, hey Shadowrun, or I really wanted to Which we sp- might
1: in the future. I mean, we, we're not We
0: we're not we're not discounting <laughs> that, but for our first We're not one, ruling them out. <laughs> for, the, the, but I wanted to get something that is I kind of think as much as many fans as there are of this product. I, I really wanted to pick A product that is a little bit more unsung because I didn't want to go for something completely obvious, but I wanted to go for something the second we say the name, you're gonna go, Oh, yeah, that deserves it. And I think between the two of us, we picked the perfect product for that. Well, so, I,
1: this I, I'm gonna give Daryl the credit on this one, I had to recuse myself as well on this one, so there you go. But I agree with Daryl's selection.
0: So, <laughs> we actually gave oh. the Gamers Tavern, Tavern Life Tavern 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 Achievement, Achievement Award, Award to. to- the, the comic, comic strip, strip Knights, Knights of the, of the Dinner, dinner table. table.
1: Well, I would say the magazine, Knights of the Dinner Table, well, they, because it, was, it is a, kind of... It
0: was originally a comic strip that yeah. evolved into a comic book that evolved into a role-playing game. That is, their role-playing game is one of the best takes on classic-style Dungeon Crawl d and I've seen in a very long time.
1: True, but actually, so, Knights of the Dinner Table now, when you buy it, it is, it is a comic a, book. Yeah, it is a comic it's, it's on the magazine. shelf
0: with Spider-Man.
1: Yeah, but it's actually what it actually is. Is this a you know one of the successors to D- Dragon Magazine? There is gaming advice, and there is even dungeons, and there are. I would. Uh, I was yeah, about, I was
0: about to say I would. I would say it was more along the lines of White Dwarf, but no, like the old school Dragon Magazine before no. it was all D&D okay. all the time. Yes, I, I mean, definitely.
1: There's there are other publications that are much closer to Dragon. I think that's fair to say. Well, no, no, no. I, but I, but I, nice I, the dinner table is a, a I think. It's not just a comic strip. That's the only point I'm trying to make. Is that it is actually a magazine that helps celebrate every aspect of our hobby, which is one of the reasons why I agree with you that it deserves the Lifetime Achievement Award. And we picked a good time for it because this year, 2013, that is not 2014, mm-hmm. uh, they published their 200th issue.
0: Yep, and I have a copy. I have so,
1: a, I have every single copy <laughs> uh, I have one to two hundred There you go
0: I am not. I don't have that many quiet sites <laughs> But yeah, Knights of the Round Table I, And I see what Ross is saying uh, Calling it a comic strip that Even though that was its origin It was just a comic strip about a bunch of guys Sitting at the table that showed up in a Dragon and in Dungeon Magazine Back in the day It has evolved into something far more Than just that Even if you pick up the comic book It's sure it's going to be forty-eight pages long, but not. But only about half of it's going to be devoted to the ongoing story going on. And if if you want to just focus on the comics themselves, it is a great story. The characters are perfect reflections of the different types of gamers. Without, they are caricatures, but they don't fall into that repetitive, boring. uh, There's a certain three-camera sitcom that is kind of nerdy. That everyone talks about being stereotypes. These guys are caricatures, but they're not stereotypes. They well, have their and, own personalities.
2: And,
1: and Daryl is absolutely correct in pointing out that the the comic strip, you know, you know I was saying it's, it's a magazine, but the heart and soul of what Nice at Dinner People is, is that ongoing comic story that uh, Jolly Blackburn has created along with Dave Kenzer and all the guys at Kenzer and Company. Um, and it is.
0: Yeah, that was the foundation. It's, it's that funny all this as other hell. Stuff grew out of.
1: It's funny as hell, but you will also recognize. I mean, if you read the comic, you will recognize mm-hmm. people in the gaming industry. They have a, a character called Gary Jackson, and it's obvious <laughs> who Gary Jackson is, right? Yes. And they have characters that you're like, I know that guy. I mean, just even even like little minor characters only show up like once or twice. You know that guy. You've seen him in the game store. You've seen him at the convention, and uh, it, you know it just. I could talk about nights at dinner table all night long, um, but I think I am I, I, very proud that Daryl chose this for the lifetime achievement award because it is, in my opinion, very deserving. Although, again, this is Daryl's selection
0: because you had to recuse yourself because you've actually written some articles for them, haven't you?
1: I've I've been published uh, six or seven times in nights at yeah, dinner table. So, I,
0: because like Ross was saying, I, I'm focusing on the comic. And how influential that was, but so much more has grown out of it. We've already mentioned the Hackmaster role-playing game, which, yeah, it started off as this kind of jokey spin-off from D and D. But if you have not looked at the most recent edition, it is a full-fledged role-playing game. That's a fantasy role-playing game. That it is the closest I can think of to the perfect dungeon crawl. Wait, well, I mean, fantasy RPG.
1: Let's let's so. actually talk about that for a second. If you want to count. The number of games, full, ga- full games that have sprung from nights at Dinner Table. You have to count Fairy Meat. You have to count Dog the Role-Playing Game. You have to count Hackmaster. I mean, it's, it's, there's a list of games that have come straight out of, of, uh, of, the, of the strip.
0: And I'm going to take your word for it because the only one I know of is Hackmaster. So, well, but, Fairy
1: Meat was an actual but, miniature game that they published that was right out of the strip. Um, there's, there are plenty of games that they do in the strip that I would still love to see someday as an actual game like Cattle Punk. Oh yeah, I would love to see Cattle Punk, uh, which basically that's what Aces and Eights is. I mean, if you want to, if you really want to boil it down, Aces and Eights is Cattle Punk. But anyway, point is that this humble comic strip has achieved great things. It has achieved things that a lot of gamers wish that they could do. Um, and Jolly, uh, the, the guy, you know, sort of behind the whole thing, he's just the nicest fellow you could ever meet. Go up and talk to him at Gen Con. If you ever oh, yeah. get a chance, he, just it, tell him and any convention you know. he's
0: at, just make sure he's not busy, but go up, introduce yourself, say hi, say you're a fan. He will talk your ear off about, I mean, he, I I just said, wow, that's a cool rig when I saw his gaming rig that we talked about on the previous show where he has this, like, flat panel monitor with, like, a Lexan code on it that he can draw on, but from his laptop or his tablet, he can send maps to it. And he just spent there geeking out over how awesome this thing is. And I'm like, it's, like, commonplace to him now. He's had it for so long. And the last thing, yeah. still nerding out over it. And it's uh, he is a great guy, great guy to talk to, really down-to-earth, really cool. Definitely go up and introduce yourself and say, hi, I'm a fan, and he will... Just or be cool. Be cool. If not, if
1: he's not there, talk to Dave Kenzer. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the one thing I want to say before we wrap up, and I, I just like I said again, I could talk about nights of the dinner table all night long because I love it that much. The uh, they do have a Kickstarter running right now uh, mm. to do a I live action that. version, a live action version of the comic book. So if you are a fan of the comic book, if you like seeing Bob and Dave and Sarah and Brian and BA play their game, and you want to see it done. <laughs> Uh, in, in real life, and what's crazy is like if you go and look at this Kickstarter, they got actors yes. to look just like those guys.
0: Now, it's a, shocking. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, the trailer they have up is rough from a filmmaker's point of view. It is rough, but when you spent so much time watching... I've been to so many student film festivals at film schools over the years. I can tell you some horror stories. When you see something that's rough, you can tell the difference between we didn't have the time and money to do what we wanted to do, or we don't have the talent to pull off what we wanted to do. These guys just, it's a matter of they need the money to be able to pull off what they want. There is nothing wrong with the actors. There's nothing wrong with the editing. There's nothing wrong with the direction. It is just, they need the money. So if you get the chance, back them on Kickstarter Search for Knights of the Dinner Table Live. I will have a link in the show notes to them. It is, they, and they got some amazing actors who are who are really good, they're really good on camera, and they, it's almost like they jumped out of the page. They look so much like their characters. So, yeah, definitely back that. Definitely check out Knights of the Dinner Table. It is a great comic. It is a great magazine. If you want gaming resources, if you want one of those Cross genre where there's articles over The weirdest game you can Think of just randomly pops up This is the magazine you want to check out
1: And you know I, I gotta be honest with you Sometimes if I'm struggling For something that my character would do I will honestly think about like Some <laughs> oh, of the God. characters from the show like, like what would Knuckles do in this situation oh. And then I ask the GM i say is anybody in this bar eyeballing me Because I stare back at them hard <laughs> Anyway so that's nice Night's at the Dinner Table. That's uh, the Lifetime Achievement Award for 2013 Gamers Tavern Awards. So the next entry in the Gamers Tavern Awards for 2013 is Best, Best RPG, RPG
0: Rules System. System. Now, for the record, this is specifically focusing on the rules for the game, not necessarily the setting, not necessarily anything else. We're talking about solely the mechanics. Right.
1: My selection for best RPG rule system of this year, 2013, is 13th Age. Uh, 13th Age is by some really well-known guys in the uh, D&D area. Um, You might recognize Rob Feinso and Jonathan Tweet. And 13th Age is mechanically, uh, because we are talking about systems here, it is mechanically kind of a bridge between some of the best elements of the Dungeons & Dragons editions that we've talked about in the past. And it's a really exciting twist on fantasy adventuring because they added some really great mechanics to help your characters get involved in the story. Actually, we talked a little bit about some of these mechanics when we were um, talking about world building with uh, Daryl Hardy and Colin McComb, mm-hmm. and we mentioned the the term engagement anchor and we you know uh, agency nodes. So we, we used all these like you know these these big names, but Thirteenth uh, Age does this really well where it takes some mechanical elements that make your character unique and then find a way to put him in the story. And honestly, very few fantasy game systems that I've seen in the last few years are really that interesting. But this one, 13th Age, makes me psyched to start playing it. I, I wish I had more experience playing this game so that I could say more about it. But it is very, very cool. And it has extremely high production values. I should mention that as well. But from, a, from the, the, just the sheer RPG rules system, um, I, I think anybody who is interested in fantasy gaming and is maybe wanting to to find some new twists or some new some new ways to get their players even more engaged in the story definitely check out Thirteenth Age.
0: Yeah, unfortunately, I haven't had much of a chance to check this game out personally. I've gone over a beta version of the rules when the when they were still just starting out. Everything looks so awesome; it just makes me wish I had more hours to just devote to gaming. Because I would love to run a... I've got so much stuff on my platter right now, I just can't do it right now. But everything that's in there just seems so intriguing. The mechanics seem so... It's like, why the hell weren't we doing this before? And there are a lot of stuff out of there I have actually pulled out of 13th Age to house roll into my other games. Oh yeah, I'm, I am stealing
1: from this like crazy right now. So, <laughs> so I, I would love
0: to run a straight game of it, but it's just a time factor. I just haven't had a chance, but it's definitely on my list to get to very, very soon. Uh, but yeah, it looks amazing. Now, another game that I personally haven't had a time to run, but I have gotten to play once, is my selection, which Ross had to recruit himself because he is credited in this game. My nominee for, or my winner for best RPG rule system is Star Wars edge of the empire from fantasy flight games. It has for one thing, the production values on this book, you've seen fantasy flight games before. This is not a company that's known for half-assing it when it comes to production values. They went above and beyond with this book. The art is so evocative and so perfect. And it's at the same time, they didn't just, you know, rehash stills from the movie. They got original art and it looks beautiful. Of course, however, this is not about, you know, the, how it looks and everything. This is about the rule system. The rule system for Star Wars Edge of the Empire is hands down one of the most innovative I have seen in a very, very long time. And I've actually gotten to arguments online where I have told people, because they use these special dice that are also used in the X-Wing miniatures game. A lot of people were complaining about that. And my response to them is this is the most ingenious way to a, it simplifies a lot of things. You math is not as big of a barrier. You don't have to add up big numbers to this. You just have to add up how many symbols you rolled. That takes a lot of pressure off of you as a player. You can focus more on the story and the character than on the numbers on the dice. And, it is one of the most, and this is completely outside of gaming, but it's one of the most ingenious anti-piracy measures I've ever seen, because <laughs> even if you go and pirate the game illegally, which do not do that, you're stealing money, you're stealing food from the mouths of starving game developers, no piracy, but even if you do do that, you still have to go buy the dice. Well, let's be so, fair. I, mean, <laughs> I, I, I don't think a... that was why they did that, but yeah, it was a good that's, side that's effect.
1: A... That's a side effect. It was not an intentional feature.
0: (laughs) But just the rules in this, it is such, and because Star Wars is one of those systems where you kind of want something that is both meaty because you have longtime fans, people have been playing since the old Weston Games days. You want someone... Those gamers have to have their system. They have to have the meat behind it. But you also have to have something that's accessible to new players, the kids who grew up watching the prequels and Clone Wars, and you kind of have to tell them, no, this is how you play. This is Star Wars. I don't know what the hell you've been watching.
1: Well, <laughs> I can add I can add some things here. I mean, yep. it's, it's really important that I make you guys aware that I, had to, I had, definitely had to recuse myself from yes. mentioning this game because I was actually there from the very beginning of the design of this game. I worked... Actually directly with Jason Little On some things like skill lists And some of the races and things like that um, And I actually got to write A chunk of the which, core book
0: Here's here's one thing I want to point out of this Ross had to recuse himself of this I actually had to fight Ross To let me award the <laughs> award to this Because he did not want me to do it And I'm like, name a better system Well, and it's, he, not, it's, it's he your choice with, He came up with 13th Age Which is a good system But I personally don't have any experience With 13th Age actually playing it I have played Edge of the Empire. So Well, I
1: just want to share I will share so, some of my perspective on it is what I'm saying.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: One of the reasons why and I do believe it is a good game. I mean, absolutely. Don't get, don't 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 ever think for a second I don't think it's a good game. But we need to acknowledge some things about what it is. It first of all it is it is an evolution of the uh dice system was first introduced in Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay 3rd Edition. It is a, I would say, a almost a revolution. It's a pretty big step forward from yes. that foundation. Um, so, if you've played Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay Third Edition, don't think that you've played Edge of the Empire, but you at least have an idea of where some of the dice mechanics come from.
0: This is like and, saying that you've played Shadowrun Fourth Edition, so you know World of Darkness. Maybe, <laughs> but it's not. Well, you know same some thing. of the basics.
1: You know some of the basics. You've you know, got the what, general idea, is, but there's
0: a lot sure. more going on. Sure. And um, I also want
1: to mention that it's not just, it's not just that, though. There's a, real, a lot of people who love absolutely love Star Wars who are really great designers who are part of this game. Um, Jay Little is the first one I should mention. He's the, you know, he's the head rules guy behind this. Mm-hmm. Sam Stewart, Andy Fisher, some great guys that I worked with at Fantasy Flight uh, were a big part of it. Dan Clark. Um, but on top of that, the Accursed Trio, John Dunn, Jason Marker, and myself were all part of this. We had uh, Sean Patrick Fannin, who worked on some of the D6 Star Wars stuff, was on this. Shane Hensley, uh, you know that name from Savage Worlds? He worked on mm-hmm. some of this. It's, it, it's really kind of an all-star set of designers uh, that came together uh, for this book. And I love the way that the dice help you tell the story it's it's about interpreting the role in 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 terms of the story that, that is one you of know, the reasons why the i thought I this like was it.
0: so mechanically brilliant is that the dice are there and the system behind it is solid the math is there but it is so invisible when you're playing the game
1: yeah and yeah. i'll have more to say about this maybe another yeah. time but specifically from the the standpoint of the mechanics uh, i think that's my favorite bit is that it's about interpreting the the roles help you tell the story and it's 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 more than just a simple, did I succeed or fail, and by how much.
0: So and that's, that's really about it. 2013 Best RPG rule System, Ross's pick, 13th Age. My pick, Star Wars, Edge of the Empire. And that takes us to one, I'm going to go first on this one. Uh, okay, well, announce, uh, announce the... Uh, I, of course I am. Uh, <laughs> our category for this one is the, the 2013, 2013 Gamer's, Gamer's Tavern, Tavern. Best RPG RPG campaign setting. And of course, Ross had to recuse himself from nominating this one, but I couldn't help myself. Accursed. And I have to do it, Ross. Accursed. (laughs) It is, I have never had a system that has captured so much of what I wanted to see. I have been dying for a good Ravenloft game in a long time, and you gave me something that was even better than Ravenloft. It is a brilliant reimagining of one of my favorite genres, the dark fantasy genre. It is an amazingly imaginative de- imaginative design. It is just the perfect world for running a game in it. There's lots of description and lots of plot hooks, but there's still a lot of white space in a strong adventuring paradigm. Yes, I'm stealing your own words to describe your game system <laughs> and how much I love it. It is brilliant. And Be even beyond that if you just want to look at the pure aesthetics the art the layout the production the writing is just so spot on and it's all in tone with the setting and I have never had a game setting that just resonated so well with me since Shadowrun
1: well on behalf of myself Jason Marker and John Dunn I thank you very much for selecting it again you know (laughs) it's uh it has to be your choice because I can't. <laughs> yeah, there's just no I, way I can do this. But um, for, okay. So I, what I can do is again to do my um, perspective on it is you know from from what yes. we wanted to build, we wanted to build on things that you mentioned like Ravenloft, and we can't you can't you can't award Accursed and not say Ravenloft because it was based on you know, obviously. Like I said, uh, I, I, that do, I do have to
0: say even though Ross is the co-host of this podcast, he, that had nothing to do with it. The fact that they gave me my first kind of cover quote on their Kickstarter when i said it's ravenloft it's like someone slipped ravenloft some pcp uh it's that might have had a little bit to do with it that, that's the reason why i started really <laughs> well the fact that you i saw the thing and i emailed you guys and said this is what this looks like and you said can we quote you i'm like yes that's what got me really interested in reading it but not even counting any of that just reading that book it again sparked so many ideas it gave me so much stuff i i just i want to dive into this world i haven't had a chance to read the novella yet that's top of my list it is just one of my favorite campaign settings i have seen again since shadow run you guys have I... heard me nerd out yeah. about this about Shadowrun. this is my second favorite campaign setting ever
1: well, I, I, I do appreciate it, Daryl. I, I don't want to risk us getting into the whole mutual appreciation society <laughs> thing. But, uh, thank you very much. Um,
0: do I hear a little quake? Are you tearing up?
1: Uh, well, you know, <laughs> I'm very proud of it. It's, uh, it's something that was a, a big goal for us this year or last year to get, to get done, and we're all very just pleased with the way it came out and uh that's gonna take me to because for the
0: record record, we had show notes on all of these and we like hit our bullet points Uh, my bullet point for accursed is it's a surprise so he had no clue what (laughs) i was gonna say and he did not know i was going to lavish so much love on accursed it is just like i said it is the best campaign setting i have seen in ages it is there was no other choice for me
1: and and speaking of great campaign settings (laughs) um I'm actually going to mention my post here, my, my selection here as well. And um, yeah, I, I guess for this whole this whole category, we're bending the rules a little bit because I am going to pick uh, my selection for best RPG campaign setting of 2013 is Shintar. Uh, Shintar is epic fantasy, and it is a creation of a good friend of mine, Sean Patrick Fannin. Um, and just to be very, very clear, there is a, a cursed Shintar crossover adventure that is in... The, in the works for sometime 2014 coming out. So uh, it, it took me some soul-searching to to yeah, go uh, ahead and make this selection. Yeah,
0: we had this conversation earlier today. He asked me, I, 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 I kind of want to change my answer on the <laughs> campaigns. So I, I really think Shintar deserves the best. And I'm it like, is. Okay, if you um, imagine a world where you are not doing the crossover, would you still pick it? Yeah. Yeah, Shintar
1: is... I've got the privilege of actually playing in Tar with Sean Fannon uh, on the, more than one occasion, and it's just a super cool, uh, super cool fantasy setting. And, and when he says "epic fantasy" on the cover of his book, he is not lying. That book <laughs> is absolutely chock full of epic fantasy, and the care and the passion that Sean puts into it is just evident on every page. It has uh, to use one of. Daryl's favorite lines. It has a fun adventuring paradigm where it sets That's, you up as.
0: I stole that line from you.
1: So I know. Don't we're, we're, me for We're it. trading it back and forth. <laughs> uh, but it has a fun adventuring paradigm where you, uh, the sort of the default mode of playing Shintar is you're part of a group called the Gray Rangers, who are sort of troubleshooters on the frontier of these uh, these larger than life nations. You know, and he has. This, this brilliant cosmology and he has uh, these histories behind all of the, the, the bad guys and the monster races and it's just oh it's so cool um, I urge anyone who's interested in looking at some you know if, if, if epic fantasy sounds like something you want to play and you're looking for somewhere new to do it somewhere fresh and creative check out Shintar because it is definitely what you're looking for and I, I think there is probably no better pick that I personally could have made for this year's best campaign setting than Tar.
0: Now, I unfortunately don't know. The only thing I know about Tar is from when Sean Patrick Fannin was on the show and we talked to him about it a little bit. When you say epic fantasy, what exactly do you mean?
1: I mean that when Sean says epic fantasy, you can imagine your character as a larger-than-life hero, righting wrongs and slaying demons, and just you know riding nice. off into the sunset with a fanfare playing. You know, I mean, it is it is absolutely that, right? I mean, he has these these great mechanics for playing, you know, sort of cinematic heroes. And whenever I play Shine Tar with Sean, um, I just—it's like the whole world goes away, and I am Sir Stephen Droughter's Bane, <laughs> and I am standing on the wall, the last bastion of humanity against the great dragon of flame. So, yeah, I mean, it's—it's—it's it's, it's there. It's just all there. And um, I, we're going to have Sean back on the show, I'm sure, at some point to talk about it. But it's—it's it's a really cool thing, and definitely go check it out, Shine Tar.
0: All right, and that'll take us to our next category which is the 2013 gamers tavern best gaming accessory product this would be something that is not directly a source book not directly a setting or a rule system this is the thing that you buy to make your games better and ross why don't you go ahead with your nominee
1: okay uh my selection for best gaming accessory product is Gygax Magazine. Remember when I said earlier that Knights at the Dinner Table was a spiritual successor to Dragon Magazine? Well, Gygax Magazine is an absolute worthy successor. I mean, not that Dragon Knights at the Dinner Table isn't worthy. It is. But Gygax is basically picking up where Dragon left off. It has beautiful cover art. It has gorgeous interior so, I mean, it will make you nostalgic as hell if you like Dragon Magazine back in the day. And it's got pretty good articles in it and stuff. I mean, they're, they're actually really kind of trying to reboot that whole, that whole feel of what Dragon Magazine now, was.
0: correct though. me if I'm wrong, but that, that Gygax is on the cover. It's not just there to exploit Gary's no. memory. That, no, not at
1: all. No, it's actually, uh, I believe, the editor. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I would have to look this up to be sure. But I, I, I know that uh, the, the Gygax family is involved. Um, I Actually, now, now you're making me sad. I wish I had done more research on this. <laughs> so uh, what I know is is that it's, it's a really great magazine. It is a really fine uh, in- entry into this, and it's not just for fantasy you know, role-playing. It's not just for Dungeons Dragons. It's not just for Pathfinder. Go take a look at it. I mean, you can buy it as a PDF, so you don't have to worry about the physical copies if you don't want to and it's available on drive through like we you know we mentioned them earlier. <laughs> it's a little the gaming industry is a little incestuous. So a lot of the things we're talking about, yeah, it's going to be connected.
0: Now, for the record, the, what I was talking about is uh, if you go to Gygax magazine's website and click on who we are, there are two publishers listed. One is Luke Gygax, which is Gary Gygax's son, and Ernie Gygax, who is also related to Gary, obviously. So this yeah. is that Gygax on the cover is not there to exploit the memory. This is they are involved in the production. Yeah, of this, this is magazine. for
1: real. This is this is basically the dynasty. This is the kind of the history actually of our our hobby, and I, I think that's one another reason why I just love it is that I know it's tied directly into some of the people that, you know, have have made the games and the, and, and the hobbies that I enjoy so much today.
0: So that's Ross's winner for best gaming accessory product, Gygax Magazine. I went in a little bit of a different direction on this. I went with another Paizo product, the Pathfinder Bestiary Box 2.
1: You and got monsters on the brain. Well,
0: <laughs> monsters, Pizo monsters, monsters. <laughs> Pison knocked it out of the park with monsters this no, year. No, no, no. You're you're right. You're but, absolutely right. I agree. I, 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 as much as I love minis, I understand a lot of people. I got into minis when the D and D minis were so – because I don't paint, so I don't have a lot of the old like pewter and lead minis. I had to do with what I had. So, so why don't you I. Tell, why
1: don't you tell the listeners what's in the box so they they yeah. know what's what they're well, talking.
0: I'm coming about it in a roundabout way uh, okay. I, got, I got in on minis early on Whenever they were dirt cheap Like the D&D minis were still in print They have skyrocketed in price Since they're out of print now It's where you can, can't even get the cheap ones For less than three bucks a pop now If you like That sort of 3D style Where you want them to actually stand up on the table Not those little circular tokens That you just drop on the mat If you want that sort of 3D effect And you want a lot of monsters But you do not Want to drop a lot of money on it The Pathfinder Bestiary Box 2 And its successor Which is in a previous year So it wasn't eligible But they're great Because they have those Really high quality Really thick cardstock to- uh, They're pawns technically Because you insert them In these plastic bases And they stand up on the table In scale to size and- So if
1: you if you have a battle mat And you want to show off uh, The dragon that's attacking You know you could go out And buy the really expensive Big 3D model or you could buy for this probably for the same price, you could get the box set full of these tokens.
0: The the box set for the tokens for the entire box set cost as much as one of the, you know, huge size dragons they have if you go to the aftermarket at this point. It is perfect for DMs that are on a budget who want to run these sort of combat heavy miniatures, you want to move all these pieces around on the board, sort of game. It is insanely high quality. The art It's Paizo. The art's amazing. The quality on the tokens is through the roof. They are so thick. I have tried to bend them. I had to use, literally, put them on the, again, for science, I tried to break them specifically for science. Put it on the table with a book and press down in order to bend one of these in half.
1: Daryl's like that neighbor kid from Toy Story. <laughs> no, you know, I, he's I like, don't I'm just gonna.
0: Break I them don't and... do it for sadism. I do it for science. <laughs> it was an experiment to find out what it would take to break one of these things, and it took a lot because I have to. I have to review these things. I have to understand exactly what it takes. How much damage can this take? A lot. It's high quality. These things are good. They're going to last you a long time if you take even the most remote care of them. By which I mean, you throw them back in the box when you're done and And close the box.
1: To be run on the ones who are still alive.
0: I had it out of my head for about thirty seconds. (laughs) You asshole. (laughs) Uh, But the Pathfinder is perfect for GMs that are on a DMs that are on a budget that. Want to be able to have that visual impact of a bunch bunch of monsters on the table, and no more of this. Okay, I've got this many. He's actually a goblin, but on the table he's a harpy. No, screw that. You now have all the monsters you could want in a box, and that's kind of all it is. It's these big punch out sheets of this really thick card stock where you punch out all the monsters and you put them on these things, but. That putting it that simply is underselling how powerful of a product this is because you have no idea how many times growing up I wish there was something like this. When I was a broke high school and college student running games, I wish I had something like this because it is just the best way to get that sort of experience of I can look on the table and see exactly where everything is, see what everything is, and eyeball everything, and it still looks good. So my pick for the best gaming accessory product of 2013, the Pathfinder Bestiary Box 2.
1: All right. And that is going to take us a little bit away from actual game products. Our next category is a tricky one. I mean, if anyone's seen yeah. my, uh, <laughs> my blog post about the Ennies of last year, you'll you, you kind of understand where I can make from. But the, top, the, the category that we chose uh, here was best, best non-game gaming related
0: Product. This is, for the record, this makes complete sense in my head It's trying to sum it down into a tightly worded category that was the problem I spent weeks agonizing over this title So um, it's a
1: it's it's a gaming-related product that is not a game That's the core thing you need to understand
0: Exactly, it is something that is directly related to It'll make a lot more sense when we actually talk about our, <laughs> our winners for this year But it is a product that is directly related to the gaming industry and gaming culture that is not in and of itself a game product. It's not th- something you would put on the table right. to play a game.
1: And uh, so for the 2013 Gamer's Tavern best non-game gaming related product, <sighs> I chose for Ross's pick, The Order of the Stick webcomic. And Ooh. what is there to say about The Order of the Stick webcomic if you don't if you haven't read it? I don't know what I'm going to be able to say to, to you to uh, get across how awesome it is because it is awesome. It is everything awesome about gaming, uh, especially fantasy gaming in a D&D milieu. And it's, it's, it's just one of the best webcomics out there as well. It's just – it's consistently high-quality content over a really long po- – we could, we could really um, put this into – Lifetime Achievement if we wanted to. Yeah. Uh, it's, been go- it's been going for a long time. But I'm, I'm going to use that as an example of its quality, that it's been mm-hmm. going for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds strips. I think they're on like 400,
0: 500 at this point, something like
1: that? Several hundred strips, and every single one of them is entertaining. There are no duds. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, the Order of the Stick is just simply a webcomic that has never let me down. It is a webcomic that has always celebrated gaming. Uh, you should see the tributes to uh, Dave Arniston gave uh, uh, Gary Gygax when they game. Yes, died. they are
0: brilliant. hands down my favorite tributes to their memories when they passed as the comic strip went on.
1: And it's, it's, it's just a wonderful way to poke fun at some of the things that you do on the table. It's a way to poke fun at some of the ways the rules work. It's a way to poke fun at uh, and, and even you know, really provide some thoughtful commentary on uh, game elements like alignment. Um, there's a character called uh, Miko who's a paladin, and oh, the, yeah. way <laughs> the the, the Belt- story arc how, of how
0: she interacts with Beltos, the,
1: the, the story arc of Miko and the way you know she interprets lawful good is really thought provoking. I, I found it to be uh, you know pretty
0: pretty she, deep. Yeah, she was in many ways the quintessential example of lawful stupid, in my opinion. Well, you but mean, there were so without many getting other,
1: too much deep into it, <laughs> but there were
0: so there's more to it than that, obviously. But the thing is, though, she was balanced by other paladins of her order, which were lawful good without falling into those same traps.
1: It's let's just say her arc is just one example of many arcs that they do that are yes. really, really great and stories. It, it
0: is. I hate saying it's a very meta comic because it does, it is self referential (laughs) when it comes to that, because it shortchanges the fact that not only is it really smart comedic writing for gamers, but it has this quality of the story itself. If you strip out all those meta gaming jokes in there, there's still an amazingly strong story.
1: And, well, it's, it's not just the, the story. The characters are brilliant. The conflicts are brilliant. And as Daryl Hardy says, that's what the core of any good story is. And um, It's
0: amazing characters, amazing plot, amazing world, amazing yeah. jokes.
1: Everything works. That's, really, that's all I can tell you. Um, and again, I, I think I'm just going to wrap this up and Daryl can say whatever he wants because I know he is also a big fan. <laughs> um, but Order of the Stick for me is – although it's not going to add a lot of stuff directly to your gaming – you're gonna be anybody who who reads it. I'm sure will find something inspirational in there. Um, yeah, this and, is
0: the. Sorry, go ahead.
1: And, and that's really just all I had to say. So oh. go ahead.
0: I was gonna say, just building off that, because I could go on for an entire episode just on Order of the Stick. I could sit there and write commentary on every single comic that has come out for Order of the Stick. That's how good and how deep the writing is in this. It is. Sure, it's stick figures in a D and D game. No. It is so much more than that. It is amazingly well-written. The plot is amazing. The story, the world, the characters, the character arcs are just... uh, I cannot explain how awesome this comic is. If you have not read it, check it out. And if you have a friend who's been out of the hobby for a long time who play, you played D&D with him in high school, but he kind of moved on to other things, but he's kind of been ta- He's been posting on Facebook about the Hobbit movies or Game of Thrones, so you think he might want to get back into it, send him a link. You'll get him back at the gaming table in a week. Mm-hmm. Guaranteed.
1: Well, uh, if, if you'll know, you have to email Daryl if it doesn't work. That's all I got to say.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say money. Well, I will say money-back guarantee because it's free on the web.
1: well you know that's one of the best things about it it is there is no barrier to entry it is free
0: i have i have read through the entire archive at least half a dozen times and i am entertained every single time i read through
1: yeah don't blame us if you get addicted and start binging binge reading it while it works. oh yeah
0: so Uh, my apologies to all your bosses if you have not read it and are just hearing about it
1: well, let's let's move on to your selection.
0: Because I think you have a lot to say about my selection as well. I do. My selection is a feature film that was released toward the end of the year that was distributed. It was the first movie that was distributed by uh, Chris Hardwick's Nerdist Industries. It is a feature film on a fantasy role-playing game that's never actually named in the film, but we all know what it is. And it follows a guy who's obsessed with this game and it is one of the most brilliant takes on gaming it is a love letter to gaming without being overly sentimental and it's harsh on gaming without being mean or hypercritical or making fun of gamers it is the film zero charisma ross say what you said on your facebook page because i can't sum it up better and if you don't say it (laughs) i'm going to steal your line
1: well, okay, I'm I'm a fairly notorious, harsh critic of films in that I am always the guy who will say, well, I think there was always a little piece that didn't work. And there are pieces of Zero Charisma that I think are flawed. But beyond that, like as, it's, as a whole, I think it's a good film. And the things that I like about it is that it has really excellent acting. Uh, the main character uh the actor who plays that guy is named um well they Dar- daryl look it up looking him up to get the, the right name for me in a second Shit. um but but all of the actors uh do a fantastic job the main character actor who plays uh scott wiedermeyer the character um he is amazing he makes you feel for him even when his character his character is pr- you know kind of um unsympathetic sam he- idson is
0: the actor. yeah
1: that, that is his name sam idson does a brilliant job of showing you that vulnerability and that wounded sort of inner child inside of him, which is really hard. But more than that, uh, the reason why I liked Zero Charisma a lot was because it holds up a mirror to tabletop gaming culture.
0: That was and the line shows, I'm going to steal. So.
1: <laughs> it shows us both the good and the bad of the hobby that we love. And you will recognize pieces of yourself in some of these characters that it shows you it's it definitely caused me to cringe <laughs> especially in the four, first 40 oh. minutes I was just like oh god oh oh you will because see it was so you, accurate you have, because it was so accurate
0: you have been in the situations that the characters have been in yeah you have well, or you've seen, seen the things it, yeah. they've seen or and this is the one that got me is you might see yourself a little bit and some of the characters though, where you don't want to see yourself in them
1: Daryl gave a good example when he said it's not mean spirited, right? Yes. It's, it, it does have, at times, an unflattering look at some of the characters, but the characters are the reason why they're, they're unflattering. The, the actions that they take, it is not mean spirited towards the hobby. If anything, it, it actually kind of shows the hobby as, as a kind of a cool, fun thing to do. Um, so, and that's if you had any concerns about that, I, I would like to lay them to rest. But it is it is just a really fun, great film about a hobby we love uh, with some very memorable characters and some situations that are going to be familiar, I think, to every gamer.
0: I think you talked more about my selection than I did. <laughs> <laughs> you also have watched it more recently than I have. I, I watched it when it came out. Well, I'm sure uh, you've got term, things to say about it. But, Please go ahead. Yeah, it is. You've kind of hit all the points. It's. Like I said, the best way I can describe it is not mean spirited. It is not, it doesn't go for the long, low hanging fruit at any point in time. It is, it holds a mirror up to the gaming culture, both for good and for ill. It shows us exactly what we are. If it's, even if it's not you, it may be a friend, it may be a guy from the comic store, it may be a guy you gamed with in college. You're going to see something of every single person, every single character in this. You're going to see it. And you have, been in some of the situations that are going to be highly uncovered Every single one of us I'm, I'm trying to describe it without spoiling anything. No, there no, are some brilliant scenes yeah. in this movie There's, that are that are <laughs> I, I I kind of want to get in touch with the it was written by Andrew Matthews. I kind of want to get in touch with him and said, Who told you what happened to me that day?
1: <laughs> well, you know, and not it's not got, not, it's got not that scene. Pitching. It's another
0: scene. So got, once you see the movie, great. it's not that scene that I'm yeah. talking about. It's another See. it's got Anyways. great pacing yes. to
1: it it flows very well yeah like it's like i said it, it's it's got some flaws to it but it is just overall really really good film and that's and not, you don't R-Ross actually have saying, a lot of Ross keep saying
0: it has flaws name a film that doesn't have flaws other than casablanca
1: well i, I just don't want to give people so the idea that i'm saying it, you know gushing about it because
0: it is not there every movie has flaws this movie has far There
1: are some that come closer to flawless than others. Let's just put it that way.
0: Casablanca uh, I already mentioned it. There's, that's the only <laughs> flawless movie in existence.
1: Well, you know what? This is not a discussion <laughs> about film because we could do that for a yeah. long time. It does it, it the key word is it hits close to home. Is yes, what this stuff. And it's accurate and I and it is well-paced and good acting and um, there aren't very many movies about our hobby. To watch so we have said
0: this a couple of times Already but I really really want to Hammer this point home because a lot Of people were worried about because of the way That gaming has been depicted in A lot of movies even even when it's Depicted positively it's still depicted As kind of basement dwelling Live with your mother and let me make All the standard jokes That everyone does this does Not do this this is You when you're watching This movie you know these people have Lived this life you know these are the. You know the Andrew Matthews. He is a gamer because he knows right what these people do. It is not. It is not making fun of gaming. Any jokes that might seem like they're making fun of gaming, if you put them on another character in this movie, they would not make sense and they would not be in there. It is the characters that are flawed, not gamers that are flawed. This is not mean spirited. Right. He,
1: I think that's one thing they did very well. Is they they pointed out.
0: It's the character, or they, or they, yeah. Not the character his hobby.
1: and his actions are what the character in their actions is what is the the driving. Uh, it's driving humor and it's driving the conflict. The hobby is the thing that they do, and it's it, but it's not uh, it's not the focus of of the humor. It could it could you know have saying? been
0: it could have been any other hobby. In question, right. and these characters probably would have acted pretty much the same way. And it's a different, but like, okay, these for are example, definitely gamers, so like, there's no like question. Like the movie
1: that. The Gamers, right? The the movie The Gamers, uh, the humor is coming from the hobby, right? The, and the portrayal of the hobby. And it's, uh, and, and by the way, I love The Gamers. Gamers is yes. a great film. But I'm, I'm just trying to say it's it's a different approach than The Gamers because in this one, the humor and the setups and everything, it's focused it on a, the character.
0: It is a to me, it's a throwback to those independent films that were coming out in like the early to mid nineties that were so so character focused. Yes. It's a throwback to those and the fact that gaming is involved is core to the characters and core to the plot and core to the story. So it's not that you can just pull out gaming and slap anything else on, but Gaming is not the gaming is the setting. It is a quintessential setting. It is an essential setting to the movie, but it is just the setting. It is not – no one is making fun of gaming involved in this. If nothing else, it is a love letter to gaming and including all the flaws that come along with some of the people that are involved in gaming.
1: Yeah, and we – again, we're going to point back to the conversation we had with Nordling in the episode about gaming and film. Uh, if you want to hear Nordling's take on it, because he does talk about that film a little bit. Yes. And uh, let's move on to the main event. The 2013, 2013 Gamers,
0: Gamer's Tavern, Tavern Game of the Year. Now, we went a little bit different with this one in that I picked a runner-up, Ross picked a runner-up, and we picked together a Game of the Year. Well, and you, you picked we're it and are going, to, we're going to, <laughs> And we're going to talk about exactly what happened with the Game of the Year when we mention it, but... I want to go ahead and start with my runner-up for Game of the Year because it requires a little bit of explanation. My runner-up for Game of the Year is a game called Dead Panic. Dead Panic is from Fireside Games and its uh, successor to Castle Panic. And it's a board game. So why didn't I name it as the best board game? Because the way my mind categorizes things, that's why. It is not... The best board game of the year, but in my opinion, it is the second best game overall that came out that year, because it takes what made Castle Panic great. Very simple gameplay, really deep and interesting, but it replaced a lot, it fixed a lot of the problems that the game had, which... It is one of my favorite games, Castle Panic. It was very well designed. It is a great game. It is a great gateway game. We talked about that in our Gaming with Family episode, but it plays a little bit long, and sometimes it can feel like a little bit of a grind. Dead Panic fixed that so well and so brilliantly in that you can actually, you're not just stuck in the castle playing these cards. You have characters that have special abilities and they can move out, and it is zombie tower defense in the best way possible. And it it is completely familiar to anyone who has played the original Castle Panic, but it is its own game. It is a great update to a brilliant game. It the added complexity just brings so much more to the table than you could ever think they could have done with this concept, but they did it. They improved on it. It's better than it was before without competing with Castle Panic. So My runner-up for Game of the Year is Dead Panic.
1: My runner-up for Game of the Year is 13th Age. I don't know what else I can say about 13th Age (laughs) that I didn't already cover in the best system. I guess I can say that I think the world of 13th Age is really cool. I think that, uh, again, I just want to say I I really look forward to playing it. I really want to play this game. And there were many other good games that came out this year, uh, and most of them I just honestly couldn't. Because I had some involvement with it, uh, mention. Uh, but so, but anyway, I'm not. I'm not saying Thirteenth Age is, is second best by any means. It's it's my in my opinion, it is the game of the year for 2013. But I want to take this opportunity to talk about an honorable mention, um,
2: mm-hmm.
1: the game that I almost picked as game of the year, Werewolf 20th Anniversary Edition.
0: I almost Uh, made my own uh, another category for this one solely because it's not technically a new game. It's not, and that's you know that's why I'm,
1: and that's unfortunately the decision I had to make was uh, Thirteenth Age. You know, gets it mostly because it is it is not a twenty year old game. (laughs) But as an honorable mention, the uh, Werewolf twentieth anniversary edition uh, is a fantastic product. It is uh, bringing back a game that I love in a big way. It, it includes all these updates and it includes a, a, bunch of, uh, a bunch of stuff that was actually supplements back in the day. and kind of puts it all into one big, big book. Um, and I, I really just cannot wait to get back into the spiritual, wor- spiritual world of the Guru and their war against the worm. And Werewolf the Apocalypse 20th Anniversary Edition is my honorable mention. I wish I could have put it higher um, – but unfortunately, just due to a number of factors, I couldn't. So just so you know, my pick for Runner-Up, 13th Age, Honorable Mention, Werewolf the Apocalypse, 20th Anniversary Edition. The, we've talked about the Runner-Ups. We've talked about the Honorable Mention. It's time to announce our pick for Game of the Year.
0: And this is one, again, I had to fight Ross on. Yeah,
1: you had to fight me. Ultimately, he won. <laughs>
0: I, 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 I said, I, I made the list. and said, okay, Game of the Year. This, he says, but I worked on that. And I said, can you name any other game that deserves the honor more? He came up blank. So we went with my pick and Bros did not disagree with me, even though he technically couldn't vote on it because he does have a credit on it. But of course our game of the year, star Wars edge of the empire. And like I said, we've already talked about this game, but there are
1: well, we talked about it mechanically. We talked about it yeah, from a system, a system point of view.
0: And I talked about some of the other stuff involved with it. It is just such a gorgeous game. Well, the, the production values
1: are crazy good. I agree with you. Uh, you know, one of the things about working at Fantasy Flight Games is they have a top notch art department. And working with those guys, I mean, uh, we <laughs> – you talked about how good Accursed looks, right? Yes. Everything I learned about how to make a cursed look as good as it does, I learned from working with the art department at Fantasy Mm -hmm. Flight Games, working with the graphic design department at Fantasy Flight Games, because those guys are one of the best in the industry, what they do.
0: And you might know Uh, this a little bit better than I do, but uh, is there any art in Star Wars Edge of the Empire that is not original to the book? Uh, you know, I, I couldn't tell you if there could, is. Or I, like, I did not recognize a single piece of art in the entire well, book.
1: It's it's likely that there that that it is all original. I mean, I, I can't say for one hundred percent certainty that it isn't, but um if it there, isn't, they,
0: the majority of the art yeah. is brand new.
1: Well, all I, again, I mean this this comes back to Fantasy Flight's approach is um, they have a, a when I was part of their role playing game department. You know, we worked with the art department and we figured out a process of how to do art descriptions and how to work with artists. And um, basically all of the producers, all of the RPG guys are trained in art direction techniques that they then use when they're working with the art director. Right. So it's like the art director has a, uh, a whole team of guys helping them out as well. Right. It's a big collaboration between them. Um, and there is just some brilliant artists that, in that stable, um, some of whom I tapped to work on a cursive. Um, <laughs> So yeah, there there's no doubt that part of the reason why the game looks so good is is due to the way that they they put together books of fantasy flight. But and it's not though, just
0: and even though it is original art, it is completely evocative oh, of yeah. Star Wars. You cannot look at a single piece of art in that entire book and think it is not from Star Wars. Even if it's not a character that you may have seen before, you look at that you know it's Star Wars.
1: Well, I think I mean, let's be clear. It's not Game of the Year just because it looks so pretty. Yes. But it does look really pretty. <laughs> now, I think one reason why, you know, I didn't have an answer for you is uh, on, on, you know, what, what, what else would be Game of the Year. Um, Edge of the Empire took a very brave stance. It took a very courageous approach to making Star Wars because it's the first Star Wars game, first Star Wars role-playing game, right, that there are no Jedi. Mm-hmm. It is all about the smugglers, all about the bounty hunters, all about the guys who live on the fringes of society, uh, mm-hmm. imperial society, because this takes place in the rebellion era. Yes, that to me was something that was bold. I considered that very bold. So part of the reason why I again I just kind of said yeah okay you know, edge of the empire I, I will I will I will back that up even though I didn't pick it. Because I think they did take a bold stance on, on what they did. And then the, the the system is innovative and it's it's very cool and it feels Star Warsy and then the production values. I mean there's it's a it's a complete package. Um, Edge of the Empire. I'm proud to have worked on it. I'm very very pleased that uh, people are responding, you know, very positively to it. But I think the credit the the majority of the credit on this game does not belong to me. It belongs to Jay Little and Dan Clark. And Andy Fisher and all those guys we mentioned before, Sam Stewart, Tim Huckleberry, John Dunn, Jason Marker. There were a lot of people involved in this project and uh, Sean Fannon, <laughs> Shane Hensley, uh, to say their <laughs> names again. So it, 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 all of those people that put together Edge of the Empire, they deserve yeah. the kudos. And uh, I, I say thank you to you, Daryl, for picking mm-hmm. it for me because <laughs> I could not pick it.
0: Like I said, I sat there and – is there another game? That can top it. There is not. not There's another product that can top it. You said you played it. Yes. Once I got the system, once I got how the dice worked, once I got how the character sheets worked, it was it did it was not in the way anymore. I was playing I was not so what do you do? I played so many games where it's the first thing I do is look down at my character sheet. I was not doing that in this game. I was playing the character. It's like, of course, he pulls out his blaster. So the, the mechanics just bled into the background, so it was all story.
1: Well, I think that's the, the thing that people are going to take away from this pick, this Game of the Year pick, is the innovations in the way that the dice work with the story. I think that's going to be a milestone. I think people are going to look back, you know, five, ten years from now, they're going to talk about the gaming industry, and they're going to talk about things like when Dice Pools first started and when Diceless first started, and when these storytelling dice, you know, mm-hmm. th- there's going to be there's going to be I think a, a milestone in in the history of RPG game design. This is probably one of them. Um, the go, it, it, you know, from my understanding of working with Jay on it, you know, the goal is really to find a way to use the results on the dice to give the GM and the players more things to riff off of when they're describing the action mm-hmm. and describing what their character does and what that means for that character. And that's where I think the innovation comes in is it gives you more as a player, as a role player, it gives you more tools to use to make that scene more vibrant. Mm-hmm. That's, that's really, I think all I can say about it. I'm going to kind of stop talking about it. Now. And, that's exa- <laughs> and that's
0: exactly how I felt playing. The- like I said, the dice did not get in the way of the storytelling. It was all about the story and the dice just helped. There's a reason why I kind of fought for this to be Game of the Year. Because it's just that good.
1: And I'm glad we... I I feel like we had a good set of games and a good set of awards. And I wish that we had some kind of physical thing, like
0: a plaque or something, but we don't. I'm working on something Well, we'll be able uh, able to get to the the winners soon. Maybe a certificate, who knows.
1: (laughs) Uh, But the key thing is, I think... It it was really good for, uh, I enjoyed it. Um, you know, kind of putting together a list of, of games that deserve recognition. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope our listeners enjoyed it. And I, again, I want to, uh, encourage you, uh, listeners, if you have some feedback on the idea of the awards show or the, uh, the way that the awards work or the categories, uh, if you have some picks that you think we missed, um, Please don't hesitate to let us know because uh, we're really interested to find out what you guys think about 2013 in gaming. And we hope that uh, you will all be with us uh, Mm -hmm. next year when we talk about uh, the Gamers Tavern Awards for 2014.
0: Yep. and if you want to leave your feedback, you can find us at Facebook.com/gamers tavern for our Facebook page, uh, and of course, there is always our homepage at Gamers where you can find the show notes with the links to all of the games we've been talking about, plus all the little side things we've been mentioning, as That's well right. as ways to buy all those games and a comment section where you can leave your feedback as well.
1: We appreciate you guys uh, being part of uh, the show for Gamers Tavern, and we're really looking forward to all the great stuff we have coming up this year in 2014. Have you been looking for a dark fantasy RPG setting? Are you interested in seeing a new take on the action horror genre? Then you should check out Accursed. Accursed is a setting for the Savage Worlds RPG created by me, Ross Watson, and my good friends Jason Marker and John Dunn. It is a world where the heroes are monsters who fight for redemption against the witches who have conquered their land. To find out more about Accursed, search for Accursed on drivethroughrpg.com. Accursed is now on sale there and in many other fine retailers for gaming PDFs. Thank you very much, and I hope you enjoy Accursed.